Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Jeremiah chapter 2. One young boy was at the dinner table with his family, and uh, he was asking his mother, he said, Mom, are bugs good to eat? Are bugs good to eat? Let's not talk about such things at the dinner table, son, his mother replied. After dinner, his mother said, uh, she, she asked him, now, son, what did you want to ask me? Oh, nothing, the boy said. There's a bug in your soup, but it's gone now. <laughs> Imagine being at the dinner table, and uh, there's a cup of water. There's a cup of water at the dinner table, and uh, just imagine that with me for a moment. Picture that glass halfway filled with water. The glass is uh, full of water halfway. Is it half, halfway full or halfway empty? Which is it? Well, it really depends on your perspective. How am I going to look at this thing? Is it half full or half empty. Sometimes Christians, we can be content with either condition, living half full or half empty. But we can live lives that are overflowing with God's grace and with the abounding and the abundance of the goodness of God. Our lives can be filled with his goodness when we realize his presence and his participation in our life. Now, the Lord gives Jeremiah his very first message to preach. Chapter 1, God was preaching to Jeremiah, in a, in a sense. He was calling him. He was telling him where he'd come from, giving him his purpose in life. Chapter 2 turns the page, literally turns the page, and now he's given a message that he can deliver to the people, not only of Jerusalem and Judah, but all Israel is included. It is a divided nation at this point, but God gives him a message to preach to the entire divided kingdom of Israel and Judah. And this is a difficult message. It's his very first message. I remember my very first message that I preached uh, in front of a church. And it was after a year of Bible college and a year of traveling as a youth evangelist. And I preached other messages that people gave to me uh, to preach or to teach and just part of the program that I was in. But this was my first message. I developed it myself, and the pastor of my home church said, can you come and preach the message? And so it was at the end of that summer, and uh, I preached the message from John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. That was it, and, uh, and Jesus was talking about, if you're thirsty, come to me. That water you're drinking, he said to the lady, it's going to leave you satisfied for just a moment, but then you're going to be thirsty in a little while, but I give you everlasting water. That was my first message, and I uh, was preaching that. And so here's Jeremiah's first message. Let's begin reading in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3. Moreover... The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go, 
cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Notice how your, your Bible has the Lord capitalized there. This is the name Jehovah or Yahweh. And this is the proper name of God. Sometimes you'll see God spelled all caps or Lord all caps. And that's the same words. It's the proper name of God. Uh, Jehovah God. So here says the Lord, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth when you were young, the love of thine espousals, like that newlywed love. Uh, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. This is before the promised land. So think about before the promised land, there's always a wilderness. And that's exactly what took place for them. Israel, God says in his message, Israel was, not now, but was, holiness unto the Lord. And they was, or they were, the first fruits, the first of the rest the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. So he's given this message. I want you to preach this message, deliver this message to the people because God remembers early Israel. He shares some of their forgotten history. It's been said that when we don't learn history that we're doomed to repeat it. And that's probably true. But I can also suggest that they were also taught some of that history, but over time, they started to forget it as well. And they stopped to repeat it to one another. So they forgot some of these things that God reminded him of. You think about the history of America, a lot of history we don't know. And a lot of history is rewritten even as we speak. And uh, history is not really remotely what it should be, it seems, today. But notice verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. This essentially is the message of all Jeremiah to whomever the message is given. There's a lot of other nations and countries, but to God's people in particular, this is the message. They forsook God and they replaced God. Notice what he says. Two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no Water. So you have a well, and you have a cistern that holds the water from the well. If you're familiar with that, it's basically what it is, a big hole in the ground, or a tank in some cases. And this one holds no water. They do a lot of work. They may even put a lot of water in it, but it doesn't store the water. It doesn't hold the water. And the reason is they forsook the Lord. When I was young on my grandparents' farm, there, there were several wells. And I remember sometime after my grandfather had a stroke, the farm is declining. He couldn't do any work anymore on the farm. And, and dad had us. I remember it took several years, but there were, were at least three wells, possibly cisterns. But uh, there was an old fence my dad had put around them. And basically, for safety, we went and filled in those holes. Bucket load by bucket load. We'd take out uh, brush piles of stuff and garbage and throw it in the hole and, and dirt and rabbit droppings. We had a lot of rabbit droppings, so that's a really rich well today, <laughs> whatever's left of it. But uh, we filled them all in for safety, and uh, it, was, it was what we did uh, back then. So I know a little bit about some wells. There's still some wells that are unexposed that are used on that old farm even today. But these people... In this analogy that God gives, they had a well, they had a cistern, but it could not hold 
water. It was not working. You see, replacing the Lord left them empty. When we replace God, it will leave us empty. Now, this is a message not to lost people, but to people who who know God. That's what this message is to. And when we replace God, even as Christians, if we start to replace God, it will leave us empty as well. There is an emptiness within when we live without God. There's an emptiness within when we live without God. Have you ever felt like that or been there? I've been there before with an emptiness because I'm forgetting the Lord. There's a man who for several months was backsliding from God. Backsliding is one of the themes of this book. This young man was backsliding and it manifested itself in a usual way. Conformity to the world and an unholy life, a neglect of the things of God and a neglect of the church and spiritual things. During this time, he called on the deacon of the church. And the reason he called the deacon was the deacon was a watchmaker. And his watch was losing time and it was not working like it should. And so he went to the watchmaker, the deacon at his former church, and he asked him to repair the watch. And the deacon said, well, what is the difficulty with your watch? What's wrong? He said, it's lost time lately, the young young man said. The deacon looked up with an earnest glare or stare in his eye. And he said, haven't you lost time lately? Haven't you lost time lately? And, and that really convicted that young man. He turned back to the Lord. He lost some time running away from God. The people were backslidden. And Jeremiah told them what they were missing. Here are three things they were missing. The first is they were living with empty goals. God had so much more for them, but they were living with empty goals. God remembers and recalls in verses 1 through 3, remember your loyalty and your kindness. Remember your love and devotion. Remember your holiness and your placement as the first of the rest, the first fruits of all who would ever trust the Lord. You were the first of all of them, representing myself to the people of this earth. And you forgot all these things. And everything now is changed, God has, is asking and saying. Where is their loyalty? Where does it lie? Where is their true love, their first espousals? Where is their holiness? Well, they, they forgot all of, all of that. They turned around from all of that, and they were forsaking the Lord. We find that in verses 4 through 8. Notice his message. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. So this would technically be uh, Jeremiah's first message. Hear this. That's the word Shema. Hear. Listen with an attentiveness to respond. Hear this word. Thus saith the Lord, verse 5, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they have gone far away from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of droughts and the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? They that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do no profit. They forgot the Lord who brought them into the land. 
He took them through a desolate land, uh, the wilderness, and he brought them to a beautiful, wonderful place. He provided for them. He established them in the land. He gave them the food and the provision and the shelter and direction, everything that they needed. But instead, in verse 5, they walked in vanity and they became vain. Empty. Empty. They rejected God and they replaced him. Let's make our own God. With our own hands, we learn from the last message. And Baal became their primary God. Look at this image of Baal. Isn't that just uh, grotesque? Disgusting? There's even more difficult ones to look at than that. So this is a little statue or a rendering of of little statues that were found. Uh, This particular design was found in where Armageddon is going to be, uh, Megiddo. Megiddo. I've been to Megiddo. And they dug it up in Megiddo. It was a little town there overlooking a a large valley. Uh, Notice the infant in his hands. You know what they would do? They'd heat this guy up and they would offer their, on on the metal ones, they'd heat it up and they would put their babies in Baal's arms. This is how degenerate and how disgusting and cruel these Baal worshipers had become. And even some of God's people participated in this. We'll find it later on throughout the book of Jeremiah. They replaced Jehovah God who created us, who gives us life, everything we need with this false image they made with their own hands and even at times sacrificed their own children. What a sad thing. John Robertson was a preacher for 40 years and he was a backslider a long time. Uh, The glow was gone and and he was tired, and he decided, decided to resign. One morning as he was praying, Oh God, thou didst commission me 40 years ago, but I blundered and I failed, and I want to resign from preaching this morning. And as he, as he prayed, he broke down in tears, and as he prayed in between his sobs, it was if God was speaking to him. John Robertson, tis true, I commissioned you 40 years ago. It's true that you blundered and failed, but John Robertson... I am not here for you to resign your commission, but to resign, resign your commission. He resigned, resigned, he didn't resign, but he resigned with the Lord. He said, I'm going to keep going for God. I'm not going to quit. And God gave him many more years of faithful service. We don't want to resign. We can resign. We can renew our commitment and our walk with God, and our ministry, and our service to the Lord. It's better to resign than to resign. So they had some empty goals. There's an empty glory in verses 9 through 13. And what a challenge is found in verses 9 and 10, because here's this empty glory. Wherefore, I will plead with you, saith the Lord. So he's going to plead with them. And with your children's children, so your kids and your great-grandkids are involved in this, I will plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Here's the such a thing. Has a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? Has anyone done that? But my people have changed their glory For that which doth not profit. That word glory here has to do with whom they are worshiping. And instead of the who, they replace it with what they are worshiping. Uh, Be astonished, O ye heavens, 
It means be horrified, be appalled at this, ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. There's an empty glory here. And uh, find a place, he says, in verses 9 and 10. Find a place where this has happened, where a place has forsook their God and then really found prosperity. He mentions the uh, the Isles of Chittim. And uh, this is a... Uh, the Isles of Chittim is basically the Mediterranean islands. So think about the Mediterranean. Uh, sometimes it was known as the Isles of the Gentiles. So the, that's what this, this phrase means, Isles of Chittim, Island, island of the Gentiles in the Mediterranean. Uh, Kedar is the second son of Ishmael. That's who he was. Then his descendants became the Arabian tribes uh, in North Arabia. And so that would be who they were. And back in the 4th century B.C., and uh, from 738 B.C. into the Hellenistic period of history, that was the most powerful Arabic tribe. And so God is saying, go out to the islands where the Gentiles are at. Go over here to where the most powerful nomadic Arabic people are at. And just look at what these other nations and people groups have done with their gods and see how they prosper. Go to the sea islands. Ask the nomadic people of Arabia, see if any nation in faraway places have totally altered and changed their priorities and their values and see how that's, that's helped them. See what that's benefited them. As we look around us today, we see a lot of change moving away from God or moving away from traditional or biblical values or the way that the things were with what's important to the American culture in our society. See, what they lived and valued, they changed. The word glory means uh, honor, wealth, and splendor. This is speaking of the pinnacle of their worship. And they had shifted their focus to false idols and fake gods. Nations whose values change see a great shift in their society. And if you feel like I feel when I look around at the way things are, some of this seems sudden, like just like, wow, the world's changed overnight. It's just really quick. But the fact is, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming that all the, the changes that we see happening, because our values have changed over time, the results we're starting to see. Each generation, all the things that are happening. Nations whose values change see a great shift in their society. And God says, be afraid of this, O heavens. Be afraid. Be fearful for this. If the heavens could say something, it would be astonished, appalled, at that God's creation would totally turn its back on him. We love the creature more than the creator. We love the stuff more than the God himself. Instead of accepting salvation based upon divine grace, the Israelites preferred their own achievement of human works. Thus they hewed out for themselves worthless idols, which in the end were unable to meet their deepest spiritual needs. And just as a cracked cistern which allows its contents to sleep away was of little use for sustaining life. They have forsaken me, the Lord says, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out, in verse 13, them cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they have a lot of religion, they have a lot of ritual, they have a lot of stuff that they're doing, but it's apart from God. It's 
It's without God. And when we live life without God, it leaves us empty. They had an empty glory. They looked to be satisfied somewhere else. They looked to be safe somewhere else. And they became more thirsty. Instead of being sustained, they were more thirsty. They were more unsafe. They became uh, unsafe, rather. And they became empty in spirit. Kind of like that woman at the well. The woman at the well. Here's what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, why hast thou nothing to draw with? And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well? He dug that well centuries earlier and gave thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. God was saying back in the Old Testament, I'm the water of life, but instead you chose to replace me with your cheap imitation of life-giving water, and it does not help you. It leaves you empty. Jesus spoke in Revelation 21.6. He said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So what Jeremiah is preaching, ultimately is preaching about Christ. Jesus is the living water. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you've been religious, if you've done good works, if you feel like, well, I think I deserve heaven because I'm a pretty good person or I've done, I've done some religious things, I can recite a creed or I've been baptized or sprinkled, and that's not salvation. Salvation is believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, trusting Christ and Christ alone, his finished work when he died on the cross and rose again. He shed his blood for you. Believe the gospel for yourself. Trust Jesus for yourself. Drinking at the springs of living water. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. O sinner, won't you come today to Calvary? A fountain there is flowing deep and wide. The Savior now invites you to the water free, where thirsting spirits can be satisfied, drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I, my soul they satisfy, drinking at the springs of living water, O wonderful and bountiful supply. There's enough water there for everybody here and everybody on earth. Believe the gospel for yourself. Jesus said, or rather, uh, Paul said this in Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Our glory for us as Christians is Jesus. We glory in Christ, and we glory in what he did in the cross for us. And he took our place and our sin, and he paid it all on our behalf. And we believe it. Have you trusted Christ for yourself? Believe the gospel today. There's an emptiness within when we live without God. Empty goals, empty glory, and empty gods. And uh, lowercase g-o-d-s, empty 
gods. In verse 14, notice this if you would. Oh, Israel, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burning without inhabitant. Also, the children of Noph, if you want to write Memphis right there, that's Memphis, the city in Egypt, Memphis. And uh, Taphanes have broken the crown of thy head. And there's a picture of Memphis. That it did have a pyramid. And uh, there's a little, uh, it's not little, it's a big uh, temple right there to a god that I'll tell you about in just a moment. And so Noph and Taphanes have broken the crown of thy head. Uh, Taphanes is a small town, a rather large town on the trade route between Egypt. It's at the edge of Egypt heading up towards uh, the promised land or up towards Israel. Um, verse 17, hast thou not procured the, this unto thyself? Hey, this is why this is happening. Haven't, haven't you done this to yourself? In that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God when he was led, when he led thee by the way. And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt? To drink the waters of Sihor? That's the, the Nile River in Egypt. Or what hast thou to do in the way of, of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? That's the Euphrates River. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see. Know and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. The God of hosts means the army, the army of God. All of heavens, all the heavenly hosts of the Lord. There's an emptiness when we live without God. An empty God is part of that. Boasting is the first step in backsliding. So I guess it would be like a step backwards, boasting, you know, uh, pride, uh, conceit, that's a, great, that's a great statement. Pride is the first step, or boasting is the first step in backsliding, so I'm stepping back. We can be full of pride and self-sufficiency and not trust God. So here they are, forsaking God and replacing him. The cistern analogy, the broken cistern leaking water, okay, that analogy continues here in the next paragraph. It is a different paragraph in verses 14 and 19. But their lives are holding no water. Their fake gods, their false religion is holding no water. The gods they replace the true God with are false gods, and they're dead. They can't do anything. They can't hear. They can't respond. They cannot act on behalf of the people who are praying to these false gods. So Memphis, Egypt. Memphis was believed to be under the protection of the god Ptah. Ptah. And uh, uh, maybe it's more like a silent uh, P on the front of that Ptah. And uh, he was the patron of craftsmanship, or craftsman is what is said. This great temple that you can see there is the temple of Hatkaptah. And it means the enclosure of the Kaptah, which is one of the most prominent structures in the city. And the name Memphis, rendered in Greek, is uh, Egyptos, Egyptos. And when we translate that, it's believed that the word Egypt comes from the word Memphis, basically, is what it is. So in Egyptian, it's Memphis, Egyptos, which becomes Egypt, translated into our language today. And so this was a prominent city. It was the capital city of the southern region in Egypt. And God is saying, are you going to go to Egypt? Are you going to go to Memphis? Now, I like, I like Memphis in America. I think it would be cool to go look at this Memphis here and to explore a little bit. 
But God is saying, are you going to trust the Egyptians, who I delivered you from centuries earlier, and are you going to trust them to deliver you today? Are you going to trust them for sustenance and for provision and protection and safety? Are you going to go down to Egypt for water, the waters of uh, Sihor, the Nile River? Remember, their cisterns are running dry. Are we going to have what we need? Let's go to Egypt for that. Well, if Egypt can't help us, let's go over towards the northeast and uh, let's go up to Assyria and let's find the Euphrates River. We've heard of that in history. You know where that's at, towards the Middle East there. And so they are turning away from God and there are consequences for turning away from the Lord. What a painful reminder of the consequences of our sin. You cannot backslide without suffering. Cannot backslide without suffering. So who do you go for, to for life? Who do you ask to provide the water of life to stay alive? Who are you depending on from day to day? It's kind of like the moon in an eclipse. Who complained to the sun, why, O oh my dearest friend, dost thou not shine upon me as usual? Do I not, said the sun? I am sure I am shining as I always do. Why do you not enjoy my light as usual? Oh, I see, said the moon. The earth has gotten between us. That's true for us as a Christian. When the earth gets between us and God, our lives start to change. And we don't see and think and know like we should. So why did they backslide? I'll give you two reasons that the Bible gives. Why did they backslide? Two reasons. The first one is no fear. Verse 19 implies this by saying, Notice, uh, thine own wickedness shall correct thee. Thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know, therefore, and see. So know and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Why did they backslide? They didn't fear God. Uh, the phrase fearing God is found many times throughout the Old Testament. Fearing God, they did not fear the Lord. Most of us would say, I love God. I love God. Not many of us would say, I fear God. What is it to fear the Lord? The Old Testament gives many commands. God's people, you fear God. You fear God. You fear the Lord thy God. What does fear mean? It means to fear as in reverence, to regard with feelings of respect and reverence, to consider hallowed or exalted, or to be in awe of. I'm just amazed at God. I'm in awe of the Lord. This, this phrase here, there's no fear of God in them. It's difficult for us to understand in just one phrase. Because there's so much depth to this word. The meaning includes worshipful submission, reverential awe, obedient respect to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. This is directed to the Old Testament God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, who fulfilled everything he told his people he was going to do. And so think about the depth of that understanding of what fearing God is. Now, there's hundreds of references in the Old Testament, fear God, fear the Lord. I could only find four references to fearing God that implies it as a command, that implies it as a command. It's actually connected to something else. So 
essentially only four times you find the phrase fear God, but it's connected to other things. Here are the four times where it's connected to some kind of an imperative. The first one is the sanctification. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So how am I going to perfect holiness? How am I going to be more sanctified, set apart to God, uh, more holy? There's some fear of God connected to that. Awe, wonder, reverence at the majesty, the power of our God. Number two, relationships. Ephesians 5, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. All right, the command is I'm going to submit to other people. This is relational in the fear of God. It's how I'm going to do it, with God's fear. So it's connected to that. that. Uh, if, if we had more fear of God, more reverence, awe, wonder, respect, uh, just uh, awesomeness uh, view of, of the Lord, that affects our relationships affects our relationships. I speak to myself just as much to you. If I fear God more, that affects relationships. It affects your relationships too. What's the next one? Workplace and school. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my schoolwork. I'm going to be the worker, the student that I need to be uh, with this uh, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. All right, so it affects our workplace. It affects us in school. The effort that I give, if I have a fear of God, not like I'm afraid of God again, but this is that awe, wonder, respect of the, of the majesty of the Lord. And finally, number four, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Uh, Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So ministry. How do you serve the Lord? If there's a fear, uh, you know, I, I, God is so amazing. I have such high respect and regard and just reverence for the Lord. I'm going to find a way to serve. I'm going to do something, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability to glorify God. And so that would help us with that. That's the only four times in all the New Testament. It's always connected to a different command. All right, so why do they backslide? No fear. Why did they backslide? Number two, no love. No love. And they left their first love. Notice verse two, because it proposes this by stating, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals. What was it like for these newlyweds? They, they, they fell in love with the Lord. They followed him across the desert. They, they left everything they knew to a place they had only heard about that was promised to them, and yet they left their first love. Their love was demonstrated in their devotion and care and willingness to follow God wherever he led. Love is the best and the most powerful motivator. I think we all could agree to that. It's the most powerful motivation. It's why God sent his son. It's why Jesus came, because of his love for us. Love is the best and most powerful motivator for our devotion to the Lord and our decision to not backslide. In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5, there's a church that backslid. They left their first love. And this is a church that's... Um, 
symbolically available today or around today in this era that we li we're living in. Um, it's a different message for a different day, but uh, in eschatology, the Church of Ephesus, it's in history. It was a real church in Revelation. It's also a picture of the way churches would be in the end times. Revelation 2, here's what it says. Unto the, church of the, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast uh, tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Just like the people that Jeremiah preached to. They left their first love. And notice what God says. Jesus continues, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. That's what we do. I've left my first love. I have rebelled against the Lord. I have backslidden from God. There's, the world is in between me and God. My flesh is in between me and my God. Uh, my bad thoughts are in between me and my God. Whatever it is, I'm going to repent from that. I've backslidden. And friends, it's not usually big steps. Sometimes the backsliding is one or two inches at a time. That's it repent that's his message repent they left their first love as verse 2 tells us repent backslider repent christian renew your devotion to the lord today renew it teach yourself teach your kids we bow our heads and worship the lord when we pray we lift our eyes to the lord when praising we make decisions considering God's will for our lives. We ask, does this please the Lord? We give thanks to God for his provision for us. We talk about the goodness of God. We let his word affect our heart, not just fill our head. We discuss the blessings of the Lord. We give grace. We show mercy. We exalt God, giving him the credit. Turn back to the Lord. And the Lord God of hosts, in verse 19, all of heaven bows down in holy reverence and obedience to God. And this is something that captured my attention this week when I was studying. Just a few days ago, this really stood out. Is verse 19, that all the hosts of heaven, all the hosts of heaven are subject to the Lord and submissive to his will. And who am I as, as just a weak, dumb human being to say no to God to step back from the Lord put yourself in that moment and think of it that way sometimes it's hard to stay faithful if we don't fear the Lord like we should and if we've left off loving him repent years ago two preachers two ministers were walking alongside the banks of a river and they came to a tree which had blown down in a recent wind that storm. And it was a mighty, noble tree, tall, withstood many years, maybe half of a century at least. It had large, outspreading roots, ample foliage on top. And it was a good old tree, a beautiful old tree. And it looked like it should have stood a lot longer. And as they were walking, they got closer and closer to the tree. And they looked at where the wind had snapped it off, right before the roots, right at the very bottom of that tree. It had snapped off, and they noticed 
the inside the tree, while the outside of the tree looked hearty and good and healthy, the inside had great decay. It was rotting from the inside out. The shell looked good, but the inside was not good. Do you know, said Mr. Jones to his companion who was walking with him, that a tree never breaks its way unless there's been previous decay. What a good lesson for you and I. And it's true for us. Sometimes it's that one inch at a time, falling back from God, repent from that. Come back to the Lord. Renew your love, determined to follow him wholeheartedly. I think about that song that Steve Green used to sing, uh, People Need the Lord. You remember the words to that? Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care. Headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize People need the Lord. Now, they're leading empty lives in that first verse. And we think of that as a song to evangelize the lost. But isn't it also true that a Christian, we also lead empty lives when we're backslidden from God? That song could be just as much for you and I or any backslidden Christian who's walked away from the Lord. Because there's an emptiness within when we live without God. Backslidings will teach us a hard lesson. Maybe you're going through a hard patch or a hard time right now. All right? Repent. I'm going to turn back to God. Instead of backing up from God, I'm going to turn back to the Lord. Maybe I don't have the proper respect, awe, wonder, and admiration of the Lord that I need to have. Turn back to that. Maybe I've not been loving the Lord like I should. Then determined by God's grace, Lord, help me to love you more and more each day, more completely each day. Let me love you. Let's take a moment, visit with the Lord, have a time of response. Have you been properly fearing the Lord? You can see the questions on the screen if you like. Some are already praying. I've not been properly fearing the Lord. God has challenged me that whether it's the workplace or my relationships or my service to the Lord, I need some fear. I need to have some more awe and wonder of the majesty and the power of God. God's challenged me about that. Anybody at all, I'd like to have more fear in my life. God bless you. Several hands. Thank you. God bless you. Yes. It's a good motivator, but here's the best. It's love. I've not been wholly loving God. I partially love God. Sometimes there's something that gets between me and God and 
May God help me to love him more wholly with all my heart, soul, and mind. Anybody like that? God's challenged me with that about love. God bless you. Many hands again. Yes. And then Christian, with God's grace, I will return to God each day and avoid backsliding. Maybe I've been backslidden, but God, with your grace, I'm going to come back to you and remain with you and avoid backsliding. That's my prayer today. I've been backslidden, or I just want to get closer to God. God's challenged me about that. Anybody at all? Yes. Good, good, good. Yes. God bless each of you. Maybe there's a friend that's not responded to the gospel. You've not yet been born again. Make today the day that you believe for yourself. Trust Jesus for yourself. Come and talk with me following the service. Pastor Rob's available. You could talk to him. If you've been religious or, or said, I've been a good person, but you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, make today the day that you know for certain your sins are forgiven and trust him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that you gave Jeremiah, this message that he delivered to the backsliding people of God. Let us not backslide. If we are away from God in any degree, let us take steps forward to be with you once again, to be closer each day. Let us love you more wholly. Let us find this uh, fear, this reverence, this awe and wonder in you each day. Lord, we don't want to backslide. And each of us, in our own hearts, Lord, we may have repentance that we could turn back. We thank you that you have us. We thank you that we can turn back to you. We thank you for your love and unending devotion and grace and kindness to us. We pray if there's one without Christ, that today they would choose Jesus and believe the gospel. Lord, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for this Bible passage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for being here and participating in this worship service. We do have a wanna tonight for all the young people, and we hope to see you next week for Mother's Day. Have a great rest of the day. God bless. I am nothing but